I, th- I think um, that talks to one of the, the other articles that that was shared was around creativity as a mindset that people believe they're not creative just because they can't draw like this guy who's sitting here drawing amazing stuff um, doesn't mean you can't be creative in other ways and then there are techniques to bolster that creativity and we've seen people coming out of workshops kind of hyped it's like this is possible um, and people just need to see that it is possible and we can do it um, but it's also about enabling people to have the time to do that Welcome to the Sage Summit's Invisible Admin Podcast. Listen in as we discuss the topic of innovation by bringing together insights and making sense of what's happening in rapidly changing business environments across the globe. You'll learn hands-on pointers and lessons which will help your business engage critically with innovation. In this week's podcast, Vincent Hoffman sits down with Kriti Sharma, Vice President of AI and Bots at Sage UK, and Jennifer Sutherland, Innovation Capability Build at Standard Bank. We'll join the conversation as they discuss innovation within the future of work. Enjoy. We're sitting at Sage headquarters in Johannesburg and we've got two awesome guests this week um, to discuss broadly the topics around innovation and artificial intelligence and bots, which I'm quite excited about. Um, a very broad topic, but I think very specific application for people who design new products and services. So I'm very excited to have both Jen and Kriti in, in the, the office today. Uh, Kriti, you're joining us from your offices in London, so uh, why don't you say hello to our guests and tell us uh, what you do at Sage. Hi everybody, I am Kriti Sharma, I'm the VP of Bots and Artificial Intelligence at Sage. Um, I live in London and I've been working here for over a year, very passionate about building new applications, virtual assistants, and really happy, fun robots that are helping users in running their businesses. Awesome. Thank you. And Jen, over to you. Uh, Hi, uh, Jennifer Sutherland from Standard Bank. Um, I don't have anywhere near as glamorous a title, I'm afraid. Um, In fact, I'm not not quite sure what it is, but... um, it's really around changing the culture that everybody is able to do innovation and that it's part of everything we do rather than a kind of a separate R&D thing. So I'm in the team that's doing that. Cool. To give our listeners some context, maybe, uh, Jen, you can explain how you arrived at doing the job of uh, culture and innovation at Cinebank. Um I think we started with um, an idea of what innovation should be, and it was very much your traditional view that there's ideas and we crowdsource the ideas from from the rest of the organization and we filter those based on voting and other sorts of criteria but we were really getting stuck on um, making sure we do the right thing and executing on that thing so doing the thing right once we've decided on the right thing Um, so we did a bit of a a pivot um, merging in some design thinking and lean startup methodologies to really focus on understanding what customers need um, rather than focusing on just delivering cool stuff from head office. Um, And I think that we've realized that it's really about the types of people doing that and the mindset of people doing that, not so much the innovation itself, but changing the mindset of people to A, that we need to trust them to make those decisions and B, that they need to be skilled and and able to to think in that way. Kriti, I wanted to ask you... um a question around definition, because uh, robots and bots, they're not the same thing, are they? 
Um, yes and no. So robots, uh, in, in the traditional sense, and from the sci-fi movies that we've seen, we often believe these are the physical, big, bulky, humanoid, HAL sort of robots, or they could be the cute ones from movies like WALL-E. Um, and that's the general perception. Um, I've been into robotics for a while. The first one I built was um, when I was 17, and it was a, it was a robot that fetched me chocolates from the snack bar. <laughs> so that is how we all started. And um, But, however, the, the evolution of software has come to an extent where we do not always need a physical body for a robot to help us. An example of that would be Siri on your phone. So Siri is a bot or a robot. Um, it doesn't have to be in its physical form um, or move around. Uh, and then there's another example of Alexa, which is this Amazon device you can just talk to, and it could sit anywhere, in a laptop, in a phone, in an actual speaker, in your house. So with the evolution of software and its connections with our lives, it doesn't always have to be very physical and does not have to move around to be able to add value. Um, and bots are really the next step from that. And the way I see this, this evolution going forward is it would not matter if the robot has a physical body. It may or may not have one. It's similar to how humans interact. Sometimes we are physically located next to each other and you're bringing me coffee, I'm bringing you, I'm, I'm cooking um, you know, food for all of us to enjoy and we're chilling out together. But other times we could just be working via emails or messaging. And bots are no different. So, it is really the broad spectrum, and you continue to engage with them in many forms, just like we do with humans. It could be face-to-face -face with a physical robot. It could be over emails. It could be messaging. It could be voice. Okay, that helps, that helps clear that up. Um, one of the things that you mentioned is this idea of value, and it's something I'm very keenly aware of, um, that teams sometimes get wrong, which is how to prioritize what to build. I think both of you have touched on this idea of, of knowing what to prioritize. Now, uh, Jane, maybe you want to talk about the the design process you follow um, in knowing what what to do to create value? Um, so I think that starts, as I said, with engaging with customers and to really having a conversation with customers. It's not a checklist and it's not a um, just a, a transparent, quick quick thing. It's really about understanding who the customer is, what life problem they're trying to solve, um, and running multiple experiments. So it's, it's around learning as quickly as possible what is working, what's not working, what's a priority in a customer's life versus what's not, so that we prioritize according to what's important to the customer, not what we think is cool coming out of head office. Great. And Kriti, in your design process when you're designing bots or chatbots, how do you ensure that value is delivered to the human being who, who, in, who you intend on conversing with? Yeah. So right now we live in a world, I'm, you know, I'm quite fortunate to be in an industry that's at the peak of hype. Um, everybody's talking about artificial intelligence, there are developers across the world building chatbots at a crazy fast speed, many of them don't work, some of them do work, so there's a lot of noise and buzz, but the, the bots that I've seen really stuck around, have stuck around and added actual value are the ones that do not actually, that do not focus on the fact that it's a bot and hey, I'm building a bot for the sake of building a bot, but they're building a bot to solve a problem that they could not do in a very efficient way on the web or on mobile channels. So if there's a problem that has already been solved really well on web or mobile, it might not be the best idea to solve it less well or just about as good on chatbots. 
So first step is don't build a bot or don't build an AI just for the sake of building an AI and because it sounds cool, because you can really very quickly end up disappointing users. Um, one more point that I, I focus on very much is, um, is a little bit, uh, it's, 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 it's a reverse attitude of what um, you just described early on, which is spending time with customers and asking them um, what they want. Sometimes we help follow disruptive innovation in very traditional industries. For example, the work we do at Sage, we're a leading provider of accounting, payments, and payroll products. Um, and we have to capture the imagination of our users, make these processes. Nobody actually wants to do accounting, payment, and payroll. That's just the reality. It doesn't excite entrepreneurs. They don't wake up in the morning thinking, yay, I get to do my invoices today. You know? So the technology we are building is to enable those users to create these processes, get the work done without actually having to spend time doing it. So we do a lot of this automation using AI behind the scenes through an AI interface like a chatbot or some other forms of robots to, to take it forward. And the process we follow is um, can, can sometimes be very disruptive. So we designed what an amazing experience could look like and then test with users. And other times, we obviously do user research and customer focus sessions to understand where the issue is. I often think about this uh, famous scenario from Henry Ford where he said, if I had asked my users what, do they wa what would they want, they would have asked for faster horses rather than a car. It was back in the days when he was uh, building the first car. So it reminds me, um, especially when you talk in the context of innovation, disruptive innovation in particular, you sometimes have to turn it around, build an experience, and then share with the users to get their feedback. I like that quote there, just to interrupt, because um, what we do is not ask customers what they want, because as you said, they would have said faster horses, but it's trying to understand what they need and then delivering on solving that problem. And that can be an incremental innovation, or it could be go out and find a robot. Um, and I think that's where the challenge is, is finding the match of technology to solve a customer problem. Yeah, exactly. And we often, uh, there's a chronic problem that people look at technology and think, oh, how can I use this technology to do something? And exactly like you said, it needs to be the other way around. What is the problem? And is there a technology I can use to solve that problem? So, yeah, you're right. That's exactly um, what we do as well. I wanted to explore that further. I mean, I think context is so important for technology. A lot of the times when you, when I suppose if you've got technology like chatbots, uh, all the all the world looks like a nail, if, um, which is quite interesting because I think that tends to be how some technologists view it. They miss this important idea of context, which is the world in which people actually live. So one of the questions that I wanted to find out, um, Kriti, and it's something I'm quite, quite interested in is, how do you see bots and human beings living alongside one another? Yeah, um, I've seen, guys, so through our own experience of building PEG, which is world's first accounting chatbot, we've seen their relationship grow over time. So we launched the bot in July last year, and now we have entrepreneurs in 140 countries using it. And most of them are new to Sage, who never had a relationship with us before. So we, have, we spend a lot of time understanding how they are interacting with the bots. Over time, it becomes more personal. And the bot, and part of it is because as humans, we spend, uh, you know, it, it's a bit like a, a physical, a human assistant. And then you have a colleague or a, an assistant in your life, you continue you start to build a relationship with them. 
It is, uh, in a very weird way, in an interesting way. It's similar to that, where over time they start to communicate with the bot in a more personalized way, and the bot also learns from their interaction patterns and can personalize the experience for each user. For example, I use emojis, so the bot, my version of the bot would respond back to me in emojis, um, and there might be other users who are no-nonsense, just get in, do the job, get out. Uh, and there are others who are very, very verbal. They would say, hi, Peg, what are you doing? And Peg would say, not much, just daydreaming about purchase ledgers. Uh, they would like to have this <laughs> chit-chat and conversation. Um, but one of the things that I'm very passionate about is designing the personality of the AI. So, and, and it's, it can be easily overlooked because it's a very technological solution, but more than a tech problem, it's a human problem. Creating a robot or an assistant or AI that we're going to spend a lot of time with, um, it means that it needs to be at least likable. And also, when the AI apocalypse happens and the robots take over the world, they should at least be nice. So we spend a lot of time creating nice robots that, that create a friendly relationship with the users. I'm glad to hear that because when the, the, when the bot overlords do take over, I hope that they use cat smiley faces to talk to us <laughs> before, the, before they annihilate yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and we're also working on creating more diverse bots. Now, we live in a world where there is Siri, Alexa, Cortana, all of them have very female personalities, it's quite stereotypical of, of traditional roles, and um, I believe in, we should not be projecting the human bias that we have in our world into the world of AI as well. So we pay a lot of attention in creating gender-neutral bots, more inclusive personalities, um, and bots are just more diverse. Um, and similar to how we have diversity at the workplace, you know, when you hire someone, you don't want to discriminate on the basis of gender, nationality, whatever, um, age, and similar with AI. We should not be discriminating against them. So we pay a lot of attention in creating more inclusive and diverse robots. We chatted to Carl Spies on business applications of bots and his interest in this area. Hi, Carl. Hi, Belisa. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, well, it's good to be here, firstly. Um, thanks for allowing me to have this little bit of an interview. Um, I'm, my name is Carl Spies, and, and for the last couple of years, I've been a high-performance coach, been working with uh, corporates in terms of helping them develop their innovation ecosystems. Uh, I'm also sort of, if you dip into my history, I'm an open-source technologist. I used to be a big Linux guy and studied psychology as well. So I'm one of those guys who brings a hybrid approach to to uh, companies bringing technology and human communication systems and then the psychology of performance together. What are some of the interesting applications of bots to business that you're aware of? Okay, so, um, you know, obviously as, as companies are moving towards more agile approaches, and by agile I mean where companies start to work in these small iterations of work with courageous feedback cycles uh, on top of those, uh, we've been uh, currently using a, little, a bot called Sensei Ping who runs our stand-up meetings, which is those little, those little uh, courageous feedback cycles in companies. Uh, we've also been using our bots to accept team member journal entries, so team members can actually start writing about what they're going through. If you notice, uh, people like Tim Ferriss, who's written a book called The Tools of the Titans, I think, speaks a lot about how it's quite important for employees to be mindful and then to record what they're going through. 
we've been using our bots to uh, elicit those journal entries from them and then from the entries that we're given to actually respond to them and ask them different questions. So while the bots are listening to what they do, we're also starting to ask patients to start changing their states, which is quite interesting. Um, and then finally, we've been using our bots to broker recognition rewards for team members. As most HR uh, departments struggle to find ways to motivate staff uh, without funds or using less funds, we've noticed that these bots are great ways to allow members to acknowledge and reward the behaviors that they want to encourage in companies. So how did you get started or what piqued your interest in, in bots as a solution to some of the problems you've just outlined? You know, we've, we've been interested, and when I say we, I mentioned, obviously, I've got uh, my fellow friend, uh, Sean McDonald, he's my senior bot wrangler in our organization. Um, we've been interested in bots since the IRC days, remember back in the early 90s. Right. Um, IRC offered us a medium in which we could create sort of Turing tests, gauge user responses, um, and also bots were quite keen to hold on to channels while the humans were offline. Um, and so those tools were rather limited. And so what we've done is we've, we've uh, because of our street cred, I guess, in the IRC days, we've brought that back and noticed that these bots help us to do a lot of that. That's, that's how we got interested in bots again. Why do you think they've grown in prominence now? Like what's the big deal about bots? Okay. I think uh, with the open internet, we have access to a whole plethora of informational and transactional services. And so we're able to create these fantastic applications with interfaces that aren't more, compli- aren't more complicated than uh, those commonly found in chat applications. So I think for the first time, we've got the tools, we've got the platforms, and uh, we've, we've got the, the glue, I guess, to stick the Lego together to allow us to to uh, generate these bots. What can managers and leaders read to learn more about this? Where can they start? Okay, so there are a few great, great resources. Um, of course, being an open source advocate, I'd suggest there's a great site called Mycroft, you know, from Sherlock Holmes. So Mycroft.ai is an open source uh, artificial intelligence that you can connect with anything. It would kind of allow you to create almost an Alexa or a set of Amazon services. Otherwise, uh, there's, a, there's a great magazine called Chatbots Magazine. So chatbotsmagazine.com is a good one. Uh, if you want to jump onto YouTube, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with TensorFlow from Google. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so there's a great series by a guy called Siraj Raval, who uh, speaks about TensorFlow and allows you to build bots in minutes using TensorFlow. So that's one of my favorites. And then, of course, uh, programmableweb.com is, a, is another good one. And then, of course, there's another artificial intelligence uh, site called uh, wit.ai, which allows you to sort of explore natural language for developers. Microsoft have a great uh, little bot called a Q&A Maker. So if you search on the net for Q&A Maker, they allow you to create bots from your company's existing facts or from any lists of content that you might have on your website. It's a great way to get started with a bot you can have it up and running in, in minutes on your site. Thank you for your time, Carl, and all the best with your bot projects. Thanks, Vanessa. touch on that point if I can on the idea of inclusivity. The McKinsey Global Institute recently launched a research report that said the more diverse your organization is, the more likely it is to succeed. Um, And I think there's there's something quite interesting about the fact that I'm sitting talking to two women who work in the technology and innovation space, which is is encouraging. And I thought maybe uh, you both wanted to reflect on this idea of the importance of diversity for innovation practice. Jen, maybe. I think it's critical, you know, if you look at the culture, um, I was interested in one of the links that um, Liz had sent talking about these unexpected connections. 
And I think that's where diversity plays a huge role, not just diversity in who you are as a person, but your background and your experience and your interests and how those unexpected connections are made when two people come together and talk about something, whatever that something is, and a third idea. You know, I think Stephen Johnson talks about how good ideas are, are made and it's kind of two ideas having sex. Yeah, I think it's such an important point because I think it's particularly in your work in, around innovation, a large part of what innovation really is is seeing the patterns mm. and being able to see the world through the lens of the people you ten, intend to serve. Um, should we be hiring? Should we be recruiting for diverse teams? Um, should we be making that as a mandate for, for organizations? I don't know. If, uh, certainly it needs to be part of it, but it's just in terms of your if you're looking at self-organizing teams and multifunctional teams, that you get this diversity in those teams that are trying to solve a problem, that you don't have a whole lot of accountants trying to solve an accounting problem necessarily. You can bring in a train engineer who might have a completely different viewpoint in, in solving that problem. Kriti, um, over to you to reflect on that, that idea of diversity. Yeah, uh, guys, I've seen some amazing um, products come out of um, different diverse groups and women entrepreneurs, um, which we often do not see. And I was um, I was talking to a friend of mine who looks into early stage VC, uh, early stage or VC investments, and it's shocking to realize that in the world of entrepreneurs for women, only 10% of seed funding goes to women-led startups. So that to me is a huge problem. If you're not encouraging enough women entrepreneurs to get funding, get, kick, get their businesses kicked off, you might end up in a problem in a world where we do not have diverse teams building products and therefore not diverse products for the vast population. So there, I, I look at diversity from a couple of different angles. Um, gender is one and um, we've talked about it. I also think there is an issue with accessibility of information. I'm an AI technologist, I work in uh, big data, machine learning, digital tech for, for a while. and. Um, it scares me that most of the data in, in the world um, has been created in the last two years, and it is primarily skewed towards people who have access to high bandwidth internet or smartphones and their digital savvy. It's not very inclusive, the data that we have. It's not a great sample size. Um, another example is if you're building a bot uh, about notable personalities, like people who are important, we should all know about, um, and you use some, some training data to, to make the bot learn these, uh, this information, uh, and you choose to use Wikipedia. And then you can say, hey, who's Steve Jobs or who's Mark Zuckerberg? Um, the bot will be able to answer this information because it, it is using Wikipedia data. However, Wikipedia only has 17% women um, in the notable personalities, the rest are men. So if the underlying data is skewed, it doesn't have enough representation of all the groups, the, out, uh, the outcome, the end user product would also be skewed. So we cannot have AI that is better than the human bias we have. So we need to, in, in the world of technology, look at more diverse data sets, have more diverse teams, and think about also testing on different user groups. There's this classic story of, um, of a, 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 an image recognition software that detected people who were not white um, as gorillas, and that is like, that is really scary to me. It's just because it hasn't had enough training data to look at that, and we need to avoid these kind of examples. Jen, in the in the banking industry, a large part of the there's a large move towards automation of processes. Um, 
particularly actually the impl- the application of, of bots in the in the workplace. How do you see bots being used to enable people at work? Or do you see bots being able to? I think absolutely, um, but it certainly comes down to doing the right thing. So not automating for automation's sake just because we can. We have a lot of back office um, systems and processes that we're trying to kind of devolve more into the front line. But some of those things are waste work, so we want to focus on delivering value to the customer. But where it's going to add value and where it's going to make sense to automate it, then absolutely. I think there's been a large, um, and Kriti, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong with some research, but there's been a large backlash from people at the front line to the idea that bots will be applied at work. Um, Where does this thinking come from? Where does it stem from? Certainly from the Standard Bank side, I think a lot of um, this kind of automation standardization came from this kind of Lean Six Sigma approach that customers are standardized and we should have a single standardized approach to how we solve for for customer problems that if somebody comes in and wants this, then this is the process we follow. What we're realizing now, and maybe as a result of that, we kind of automated and created standard processes that didn't fit. And we're really realizing now we need to cater for that variability in what customers are asking for and how we solve for for those requests. Um, so automation in that scenario is going to need to be a whole lot cleverer and more intelligent. Kriti? Yeah, and I think guys, yeah, we always go through waves um, uh, in any new technology. So AI has, for example, AI and bots have been around since the 60s. My favorite robot is one from the 60s. It's called Eliza. I think it's the best thing, best robot that has been built so far. Um, and the technology has been around, but it is more about the consumer adoption of it. We have seen the AI wave. In the 70s, there was a lot of investment into it, the 80s as well, and now again, since 2011 and 12, there's nothing new about AI. But what is new is is that now, a few things. One is consumers are more open to this technology. So as a user, would I like to be on the phone for half an hour or just get the information I want digitally using a smart assistant? Do I care if I'm getting the same experience faster, better? And this enables people in the support functions to to serve more users and to provide better quality of service and do more human intelligent tasks. So I I personally say it doesn't really matter very much as long as the users have a great experience and we create workforce capacity to help, um, help users better. An example of that is the accountancy world where we have accountants. Now, um, one way to look at it could be, oh, bots are going to take over and become the new accountants. But that's not where the problem is today. The problem is accountancy practices have to spend a lot of time doing manual tasks like scanning receipts and updating expenses and and, um, updating invoices. If you could automate those and have the accountants focus on business advice, financial forecasting, helping entrepreneurs understand their business better, that to me is great. And the accountants love it and the users love it. We need to identify right opportunities. Um, Then also, as humans, as consumers of technology, we are much more comfortable with it now. We we have seen the era, chatbots are particularly exciting because messaging is everywhere. We are so used to using WhatsApp on our phone, Facebook Messenger, Slack, we spend too much time on that. I personally spend way too much time on my phone using messaging. So it's not like we do not have tools where we can use bots. Um, those technologies exist as humans. Two and a half billion people on the planet are using some form of messaging app. 
and they are also logging in nine to ten times a day. So it's nothing new. Um, the interaction is becoming much more common for us. If, if we can get the same services, just the way we chat with a friend, if I can get my job done, if I can get my business work done, just by chatting to someone in the same, same platform, that's great. Yeah, one of the things that you've pointed to this idea of freeing up time or, or erasing the administration related to the, to the way that we work. I think, Jen, I mean, from an innovation standpoint, a large part of the innovation community talks about inclusive innovation. I think that's predicated on a workforce being able to be creative. Do you see a world where we're freed up from administration to be more creative? I, th I think um, that talks to one of the, the other articles that that was shared was around creativity as a mindset, that people believe they're not creative just because they can't draw like this guy who's sitting here drawing amazing stuff. Um, doesn't mean you can't be creative in other ways. And then there are techniques to bolster that creativity. And we've seen people coming out of workshops kind of hyped. It's like, this is possible. Um, and people just need to see that it is possible and we can do it. Um, but it's also about enabling people to have the time to do that. When they've got to spend eight hours a day firefighting and you don't give them any chance to learn something new, explore new technology, um, figure out how to solve problems, you can't expect to bring them into a room and then be able to solve problems. So um, there is a balance in terms of giving that space for people to do that. A large part of giving up um, the control of the administration process seems to cause a lot of stress in, in people who typically do routine tasks every day. What I'm curious to, to, to know, Kriti, is what changes have you seen in the way that people work once they start interacting with bots that take over those administrative tasks? You mentioned accountants, for instance. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of, um, there's definitely, it's very, very much welcomed. And the expectations also keep increasing. There is an initial magic uh, for the first time when you say something to a bot and it just does the job. Um, I often uh, get the first reaction as, oh, wow, you did that. And a lot of our users say, oh, Peg, I love you for doing that. And great, thanks, because they actually um, feel so amazed that, you know, that the bot just did some boring admin tasks. We also see users doing admin tasks in more real time. So rather than piling up, so Peg is a bot that does expenses for you, amongst other things. Um, and previously, the users who would keep their expenses piled up and do them once every quarter, when they really, really have to, uh, they've changed their behavior in, in that they're doing it as soon as something happens. Because the next time they go into their messenger app, um, or they can just send a message to Peg saying, hey, I just spent this money, here's a photo of the receipt, and be done with it, rather than piling it up until the next 90, 90 days or, or six months. Um, another behavior change I've seen is, um, especially for our users, is their access uh, for information and being data-driven. Now, previously, they might have had to go to a desktop, uh, like to a website and check, pull out the latest report and understand how is this month different to last month, or look into a mobile app and understand the charts that are mentioned there or read push notifications, the absence, which is not really, um, I think we have an overload of push notifications in our lives. What we see with PEG is they would just send a message to PEG and say, Hi, Peg, how much money do I have? Or, Peg, how, um, how much did I spend on travel this month compared to last month? So these simple questions that give them more access to information in a very easy way, just like a simple sentence, it's like asking a person, a human, um, that, that is driving behavior change in the right direction. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. I think back, back to you, Jen. I mean, the, 
the idea that there'd be a robo advisor has come up quite a lot in the in the in the news, um, and it also points to the fact. And Kriti has mentioned this this idea of, of taking out some of those routine administrative tasks, particularly in banking and, and in the loan application space where there's lots of paperwork. Um, what do you see these people doing with all of their time? I mean, what, once it's freed up, what will they? What do you what do you envision they'll do? The staff. Yeah. Then we can actually get to having those conversations with customers so that we're driving development of the right things. Um, that's, that's the vision, but we've still got a lot of the automation and fixing of those basic mundane tasks before we can even get there. Um, but I think it, we do need to separate out the complicated tasks versus the complex tasks, which have a myriad of outcomes and possibly need a lot more from an AI point of view. But certainly the complicated tasks um, it'll free up people to actually use their brains instead of just sitting being human robots typing in things and capturing things and and kind of there to do a job. They can actually there, be there to provide a service. Yeah, I think one of the things that that started me in the in the in episode two of our podcast was this idea of the importance of purpose and motivation, mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to innovative practice. And I wonder if doing routine tasks every day strips away motivation quite quickly. Um, with a re-energized workforce, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that innovation as a practice comes back to the fore because it is fundamentally creative. And um, I'm worried that a lot of the tasks that we've outsourced to human beings have turned them into chatbots. Mm. And I'm hoping that uh, in future, as, as we have organizations that grow more flexible um, and grow more adaptive to the needs of their employees, we start to see people being more like people. And that actually came out of a workshop the other day. It said, just let me be myself instead of kind of putting me in this mold that I have to be this person when I'm talking to customers. It's like, I've got a personality and that's going to help me do my job in a particular way. Um, but we've hamstrung our, our people for so long that, you know, this is how you do the job and these are the processes you follow and these are the procedures and don't question and don't think, you know, that's somebody at head office's job. They're paid to think, you're not paid to think. Um, so changing that mindset of, bringing that purpose and motivation into the front line is where our challenge for this year is, is how do we unlock the prison, but also get people comfortable leaving the prison? Absolutely. Kriti, I'm quite interested if, if you have any ethical considerations when you, when you develop bots. A large part of that conversation that we've just had now was this idea of, of bots being enablers of progress for humanity. So do you have any ethical considerations when you develop chatbots? Yeah, it is very prominent, guys. Um, there's, um, there, there are a few different challenges um, as you go into into the world of bots. Uh, as you know, bots learn on their own. So there's uh, the idea of machine learning where you feed an initial data set and you create an algorithm um, to create the first iteration. But from there on, the machine learns on its own from its experiences of engaging with users. It's obviously very exciting and very efficient, and you don't have to manually code everything, and the bots get smarter, and they share intelligence from all of their experiences with each other. So as humans, if I'm an assistant to one person, I'm getting some experiences I'm learning um, at at a certain pace, but if I'm connected to all the other robot systems in the world as a robot system myself, then they're collectively sharing experiences, and they're learning much faster. So it is exciting, it's great, but at the same time it comes with some challenges because now you're giving machines so much power um, to to learn and iterate on their own. And you're going back to the joke we, uh, we made earlier about the robo-overlords. 
um, yeah, yeah there, there's some ethical considerations there for all the technologists, and um, it would be great to have more people, not just technologists, but also those who understand human psychology, interactions with humans, and also designing products that are ethically correct, um, and they have certain values. We saw some examples in the media recently. One of those is very famous with Microsoft Pay. It was a chatbot Microsoft created and it learned to um, learn some racist terms, etc. because the users were feeding it that information, just trying to break it. And your bots and your design bots and AI and self-learning, any kind of self-learning machines, we need to be um, very careful about how we teach our, our bots or AI to not learn garbage information. It's something we are very passionate about. I spent some time with my team doing it. It's, it's very important for us to ensure that our bots are learning, uh, obviously, because that's the power of bots, but to make sure they're learning the right things and discarding the others. That's true. I want, I want to pick up on the word learning. Um, one of the things, of course, that, that people will have to start doing is, is reconnect with their love of learning in the, in the organization. We've outsourced quite a lot of the function of our memory at the moment to machines, um, which, is a, which is freeing up some of our brain power to get back to really good stuff. Do you have any sense of how we can encourage learning at work in the most humane way or human way? I love I the answer to that question because that's, I think, key to having people taking responsibility for their own career and for their own um, life at work, that it's not just, I'm not coming to work to do a job, but I'm here to serve this purpose and I'm responsible for my own development, I'm autonomous, I can get mastery in my um, chosen field or whatever, therefore I have to learn about that. But it's not somebody else's job to decide what I need to learn, it should be my job. And Kriti, do you have any thoughts about how bots can help us to learn? Guys, I spent way too much time with robots in my life. I have three of them at home, so <laughs> I learn a lot from them. I have too many robots in my life helping me sort of problems. Uh, like, I think there are two sides of it. One is I, I agree, I'm becoming, I, I admit I'm becoming lazier when it comes, comes to certain tasks. I use my, my bots to turn on the lights at home or when I come back from traveling, I just say, hey, I'm home and they automatically turn the heating up and the lights are on. I like that um, I don't even have to <laughs> press the switch. And also some mathematical questions. If I have to convert um, meters into inches, previously I would do the calculation in my mind. Now I just ask uh, my voice bot at home, hey, how, how many inches um, are in two meters? And it would give me the answer. So in a way, I'm not using my brain as much as I should be. But on the flip side, um, there are other things that they encourage me to do. I'm building a personal bot that helps me um, with my fitness goals. So it would wake me up in the morning and motivate me to go to the gym, which is great. Um, also, I'm becoming more inquisitive. If I have a question in mind, um, I would just ask my voice bot um, about it and uh, get, get more information in, in real time. And you get, to, you get more inquisitive, you ask more questions because you have these information points available right here. And I think new interfaces such as voice, where you can interact with, uh, with the web just using voice, uh, your own voice and response, without having to look at a screen is great because we spend so much time on our mobile phones and on, on our laptops. And also, it's very easy to get lost in the world of web. For example, if you start reading an article and there are 10 hyperlinks, and these 10 hyperlinks take you to other hyperlinks, and you realize an hour later you're just reading, still reading about random things. 
I find um, in interfaces such as voice very focused. You ask a question, you get a response. Um, it's it's very meaningful. It's very contextual. Um, so I think it enables people to to think about very different problems um, and in real time. I think mean, it's much beautiful, much more beautiful interface, and it automates a lot of our tasks so we can focus on better things. But again, like with any technology, it's the same with bots as well, that we need to focus on using them for good um, rather than the bad, because you can easily use it for the other way around as well. That, that's an interesting point around good. Um, I think a lot of organizations could be accused of doing the opposite of good. Uh, and, and a large part of the, the process of innovation has to be pushing forward the the idea of doing good by humanity. Is that a consideration for in the design world? Yeah, I think we've got, we, to get people to buy into that, you've got to have that common purpose, but it's about making that purpose relevant to people um, and ensuring that they're delivering and they see value in what they're doing in the context of the broader purpose, um, but that the values are greater than kind of the processes and all of the stuff in between there, that they're actually seeing the value in their work and their, um, it motivates them to kind of carry on. Absolutely. So I'm going to leave the conversation there. I think I'm feeling, I'm feeling very inspired that we can coexist with our bot, uh, our bot overlords, um, particularly if organizations are moving towards a, a more human-centered practice of design. I think both, both, uh, both of you touched on this idea of the importance of, of ensuring that the technology services and products we build are built around human needs or built to serve people first. I'm very encouraged because I think a lot of the conversation has been quite negative about, um, about large organizations and, and about robots, uh, but I'm feeling quite inspired. So thank you so much, both of you, for, for talking to me, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Join us on the next Invisible Admin podcast where we'll discuss the field of diversity and inclusion, why it's important to create such a culture, as well as how to do it. Don't forget to join the Sage Summit conversation by following Sage Group ZA on Twitter or by using the hashtag FutureOfWorkSA ahead of the Sage Summit 7-9 March. Thanks for joining us.